0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin today by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us so much that you gave us your only son, Jesus Christ, when we are enemies, lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. And he went to the cross, died for our sins, and you raised him from the dead. And we thank you for all of that, Father. We thank you also that salvation is so simple It's by grace through faith, not of works. Father, today we would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us into the word of God preached and the singing and the fellowshipping with one another. And we ask today also, Father, that you would watch over and protect the body of Christ here, in this congregation, in this country, and around the world. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Hey kids, wait for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Good morning again, everybody. Um, just a reminder again: uh, this month we've been looking at and praying for Chosen People Ministries. They are. Um, their mission is to evangelize and pray and disciple and serve Jewish people everywhere, and to help fellow believers do the same. And. With our help, they will continue proclaiming the good news through Jesus the Messiah to the Jewish people around the world. Please keep this organization in prayer. Do what you can to support them. And may we all be more aware of the Jewish people in our midst and the fact that the Jewish people on this planet will, are suffering um, from persecution. They call it anti-Semitism because they still are God's chosen people and he still has promises to keep for them. And so the, the, the enemy of God, Satan, wants nothing more than to destroy those people. So when you see anti-Semitism, understand what you're dealing with and uh, call it out when you can. All right, a couple of announcements today. Uh, by the way, next Sunday is the first Sunday in March. We will be celebrating the Lord's Supper at that time. Welcome, everybody, to join us for that. Also want to give a couple of shouts out this morning. There's a lady called Lena from Belgium, and she listens online And uh, her great prayer is that someday she'll have the opportunity to join us for Sunday service. So let's keep Lena in prayer for that. That would be wonderful. Also, we got a letter this week um, from Kathy Davis. She's in Arizona. She listens online. She actually started because of the radio show we had out there. That tells me she's been with us for a while because we haven't been doing that for a few years. So um, she wanted to write, and she explained that... um, she was listening to one message on Ephesians 5, to 23. One of the most difficult messages for ladies to hear. You know, that's the wives of one. And she said, she said, I was waiting for the, how would she put it? I was waiting to hear the loophole, but you delivered one better, an explanation. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Um, she's been listening ever since. She appreciates the fact that we have the live feed. She, she appreciates the fact that we are here to just clearly deliver the truth of the word. And she looks forward to Sundays um, every week. She um, also mentions that um, she won't be in the third row of seats anytime soon. But that she wants to know, all of us to know, that she is listening out there in Arizona. And then finally she writes, if there is a person in a congregation who would like to correspond via letters or postcards, I would certainly enjoy getting to know someone attending Lighthouse. So if you'd like to do that, to see me at the end of service today. I'll give you her address, and you guys can get started corresponding. So I thought that was wonderful. Um, it's great to hear. It's an encouragement to hear But there's people that we don't see, but are nevertheless a part of us through the Internet ministry. All right. Continue to please pray for the Pomeroy family, um, the whole family, especially Ron's wife and his sons, Garrett, Stephen, and Zach. And also today, please uh, pray for Margie King and her husband, uh, Paul, as they're continuing to figure out and get settled in their whatever the Lord has for them in their, in their new apartment. All right, so the title of today's message is Our Time, and I'd like you to turn today to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, Our Time. Colossians 4, 7. Our time could certainly mean, of course, the time that we are given by the Lord and how we spend that time. But we're also going to see there's a second meaning of that title today. And I'll leave you in suspense about that. But we're going to, we're just about done with the letter of Colossians. And we're in the last section of it. And we're going to see today how Paul wraps things up and what he, what he says and features in this last part of the letter. Colossians 4, 7 to 18. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. Tychicus was the one who brought the letter, along with um, Onesimus, from Paul to the Colossians. And this is the beginning of a series of individuals that he names. Paul was very tight with a group that supported him and helped him with his mission of evangelizing the Gentiles. For I, verse 8, for I have sent him to you. Paul sent Tychicus to the saints at Colossae for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And, and now sometimes we forget about the personal side of what was going on in the first century. We see here the, the, the tenderness and the closeness and the desire Paul had that they may know about his circumstances. Because it's, that's that's thinking about people and realizing that here's their leader, he's in prison. And naturally they'd be concerned about him. Naturally they'd want to hear what was going on with him. And so that one of the reasons Tychicus was sent was to fill them in about that. And of course Paul is doing well and he's writing some of the greatest letters that have ever been written. And then he says also that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus. Onesimus was a former slave. He is being returned to his owner, who lived in Colossae. Our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here in prison in Rome. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark. That's the writer of the second gospel, Mark about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. You say Paul had a, had, a, had a feud with Mark. Mark had turned around halfway through the first missionary journey and said, I, I can't do this anymore. And for a while, that was a great conflict because, as we see here, Barnabas, who was one of the closest associates and supporters of Paul, um, this was his cousin. And so that created a difficulty for a while. But you can see that's done with now. They've reconciled. Verse 11, and also Jesus, who is called justice. And these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. The first three people he mentions are Jewish. Take a kiss, Onesimus, Aristarchus, and Mark. Actually, that's four. And Jesus, who is called justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras who was one of your number. He's from Colossae. As a matter of fact, he started the church at Colossae. He went to Paul. As we've seen, that, that, that he went to Paul with some troubling news. And this is really what was the basis for Paul writing to the Colossians. Epaphras, who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect. And fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him, Epaphras, that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Luke was the writer of the third gospel. And then he mentions very simply, and also Demas. When I read this, I can't help but think of this a commercial out now. Um, from one of the, I think it's progressive, and it's a scene where all the agents are sitting around at the table, and uh, what's her name? Help me out here. Flo is sort of like singing the praises of all these different people, and then at the end, and, and at the end, she says, I'm, "I'm getting old." Who's the guy, the funny guy? Come on, help me out. And, and, huh? Jay, what is it? Yeah, Jamie. Yeah. So you go. So and then she says. He goes all these praises about all these different agents. At the end, he says, and Jamie. And he says, present. And I think that's Demas here. Because that Demas, if you follow him through, it's a sad story. Because at first, he gets some praises from Paul. Here, he's sort of just, yeah, Demas is there. And then, of course, he loves this present world, and he abandons Paul. In any event, verse 15, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. That's a sister's town to Colossae. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Verse 17, there's one more that he mentions. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. One can see that... that archipist was on Paul's heart as well. And and the material that he shares that we've looked at in this letter over the last year and a half is just as much for him as it is for anybody else. In other words, he needed encouragement. He was having a difficult time. He may be about to quit. And the information in this letter about the glories of Christ and about the life we ought to live, no doubt encouraged him. And at the end, Paul says, take heed to your ministry that you may fulfill it. And then verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. You see, in this time, many letters were dictated and there was somebody who was writing it down. And then, but then Paul says, but this part that we just read from verse 7 to 18, Paul said, I wrote this with my own hand. Again, this is a personal thing. This is the people that are on his heart. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. As you can see, there's no more verses after verse 18. And that means that this is the conclusion of the letter to the saints at Colossae. This letter has taken us on an incredible journey. It took us to the heights of the glories of Christ, the creator of all things, God in the flesh. Then we saw Paul striving and laboring so that this congregation would mature and grow and become complete. Then we were on the front lines in chapter 2 as Paul was defeating the attacks of the false teachers with the truth about Christ. And then we were exhorted to live in the new man, to put on a heart of love and compassion and gentleness and kindness, to live in the new man who is Christ, who is in us. And so we come today to the end of this letter. And again, it's personal. It's intimate. Paul, as it were, this was his team. All right? These men were his team. They're the ones that were supporting him, that he would send to different places when he couldn't go himself. Intricate part. And so at the end of this letter, he's giving this team who struggled with him for the gospel, as it were, a curtain call. If you know what that is. A lot of times if there's a, if there's a, a dramatic presentation You know, you see the characters on the stage and they get all the glory. But at the very end, oftentimes, the director will then point out other people without whom this show would have been impossible. The lighting, the stage crew, and so forth. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's calling out to make sure people don't forget those people in the background who made it possible for Paul to continue in his ministry of the Gentiles. And central to all of this are the prayers of one man. One man, and we see his name in verse 12. His name is Epaphras. And our our mission today is to learn all we can about how Epaphras prayed and who he prayed for and what he prayed for. So I'd like to go back now to Colossians 4.12. We just were there. Let's read again what we're taught by Paul about the praying of this man. Look at Colossians 4, 12 to 13. Again, Epaphras, who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, that was a title that was only given to the people that were most dedicated to the mission, that were the leaders other than Paul, that they were laying down their lives completely. They were bond slaves. That was a word that was only used by Paul to describe these sorts of people. He said, the bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings. Notice this, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. We're going to break that apart and enjoy every word. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect, complete, and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him. That he, Epaphras, has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. We begin with the phrase, one of your number. This tells us who he's praying for. Epaphras is praying for his own congregation. He's praying for the people he knows most intimately and cares about the most. Now let's take every lesson that we can out of this presentation of how Epaphras prayed. He started by and finished, actually, by praying for his own congregation. And that's where we should start. These are the people that God has given us to be a f- close family here in our location. And that's where our prayers should be directed about and towards. And that's what Epaphras teaches us. He says, start with the people that are, the Lord has placed in your life most closely, the ones you care the most about. You know, uh, we're going to see a lot of times we think that we have, sort of have to take a detached attitude toward prayer. and There's certain things we have to pray for in a certain order. But that's not what we learned from Epaphras here. He's saying no. He's saying pray for the people that you're closest to. And the reason for that is that the kind of prayer that the Lord is looking for is like real, you know. It's not going through the motions. It's real. It's people that you care about. Where there's some passion, if I could use that word, behind the prayers that you're making. Notice the next phrase. Always. We're going to look at that word. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. What is this saying? It's saying that he's always doing this. That it's not as if, you know, he finds out something about the congregation and he prays for it once and he moves on. No, he's always, always praying for these people. This is his constant concern, daily priority. And that's how we should be. Our, our, our prayers for one another should be our constant concern. We should have one another on our hearts all the time. We should be bearing one another's burdens daily. And, and that, that should not be you know, a legalistic thing. It should not be seen as a chore. It's actually part of being a member of the family. And it's actually a privilege to be able to pray meaningfully with specifics for the people that the Lord has put into your life for that reason, by the way. One of the reasons. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. And by the way, it's not just here with Epaphras in the letter of Colossians. We see this over and over again in the New Testament. We are exhorted to pray always. That's Romans 1.10. Pray always. We are, we are asked to pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians 5.17. Pray always. Pray without ceasing. I hope you're going to get the sense of the attitude and the earnestness and the, and the intensity with which we're called to pray. We're called to pray night and day. That's 2 Timothy 1.3. Pray night and day. Can you notice that, if I could say so, if you think about, step back for a minute and say, okay, so other than praying, think about a time in your life when something was always on your heart. All the time. Without ceasing. Think about night and day. This was, on, And I'm thinking about falling in love, for example. When you fall in love, that's the way it is. You think about the person night and day. You're persistent about it. You're always thinking about that person. It's your daily concern and so forth. Well, that's prayer. Because we're family. And we're talking to the Father. And we're having the Holy Spirit pray through us. That's exciting. That's, that's intense. And we should see it that way. Always doing it, night and day, persistent prayer. That's the Gospel of Luke. Jesus talking about the one who goes to somebody, with he has a need of his friend, and he goes to another friend, and the friend says, sorry, listen, I'm closed for the evening. Come back tomorrow. And yet the person persists and persists, and finally the the person says, okay, fine. Now that's not God, all right? He's not blowing us off, but the point is to be persistent in prayer. Persist in it. And, and, I, and I think most of us have had that experience where there have been people in our lives that their situation doesn't change. That you hear about it and you pray about it and you hope in your heart that, wow, this prayer is going to be answered next week. This person is going to have this blessing or turn around or whatever it is you're praying for. Believe in Christ. And yet it doesn't happen. That's a call for us to do this. To persist in prayer. Don't give up. You know, there's and here's the thing. There's something wonderful about that. You know, and God, God really doesn't need anything. It's not like he's saying, you know, I'm flattered when you persist in prayer. All right. What it means is that it's showing something about you and how much you care about that person and how you're really honoring the Lord. And so rather than going in other directions to try to deal with the problem, you're going to him. Now, that's what's honoring to the Lord, that he's your he's you think of him. The same way that Jesus is the only way to the Father. The Father is the only way that that things are going to change in His plan. So, persistent prayer. That's That's what Epaphras did. That's what we're asked to do over and over again in the New Testament. Romans 12 12. These were instructions to the saints in Rome to be always doing this, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, devoted to prayer. Let us take the example that was laid out in front of us over and over again and realize that this is our prayer life. That again, it is not simply, okay, I have my prayer time every day. That's good. You should. There's good habits that we develop. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't have a prayer list. Of course you should. But there should also be on your heart certain people at any point in time where you're going to the Lord constantly. You can't get the situation out of your mind and you shouldn't. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, devoted to it. That's Romans 12, 12. We're told to strive in our prayers. Romans 15, 13. To strive. What does strive mean? It means to put all your effort into it. And we don't normally think about that with prayer. We, we think about doing that in our job. We think about doing that in certain aspects of ministry But we often don't think about prayer as something we have to strive in, fight in, battle in, overcome things in. And yet that's precisely what the Bible tells us is part of prayer. And then to pray at all times in the spirit. Ephesians 6.18, the sister epistle, by the way, to Colossians is Ephesians. And this this is something that almost word for word is found both in Ephesians and in Colossians. Notice this with what's the next word with a little, with a little prayer. No, with all prayer and petition, pray once a week. What does it say? At all times, you see the attitude, you see the reality here. You know, prayer is central. Prayer is powerful. Praying is who we are. We're the people that say, we're not going to go to the world. We're not. We're, we're, we're not going to pretend that it's all, we're not superman and superwoman. I got to be careful about that. Every time I hear about a situation and somebody asks me to pray, the first thought I have is, wow, I got to do something about this. Well, it's funny because I, I, got, I got a lot of people I pray for. And if, can you imagine me thinking I actually could do something about, you know, 40 people's problems in a day? Can you picture that? I mean, my hair would be thrown all over the place. I wouldn't sleep. I'd be, I'd be bankrupt. I mean, all these things would happen. Well, that tells us something. We're not Superman. We're not Superwoman. But we can be super prayer warriors. All times we can pray. All, night and day, 24-7, heaven is open for the Lord, the Father, to hear our petitions and our prayers. So all, all kinds of prayer all times in the Spirit. That's a reminder that when we pray, we don't do it ourselves either. That even in prayer, we're enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray. That should be exciting. If you say, you know, I really want to experience God. There's a lot of people, especially in today's culture, that say, I'm after the experience. That's dangerous, by the way. But the fact is that we do experience the power of the Spirit when we're in prayer when we're struggling about what to pray for, and yet we, 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 we know, we sense, God's Word tells us in Romans 8 that He's there. That when we can't figure out what to pray, He prays for us. He goes to the Father on our behalf. And when He gets there, Jesus Christ is at His right hand, and He's interceding for us also. That's what we should be reminded when we see pray at all times in the Spirit. You're not in this alone. The power to strive comes from the Lord. Nothing that he's ever asking you to do is not something that he's already given you the ability to do. Nothing. But without him, we can do nothing. So we always got to understand where the power in prayer really is. And yet, because we have the spirit in our hearts, we're able, no excuses, in other words, we're able to do this. It's just a matter of having the will to do it, the desire to do it. And again, that's why pray for the people closest to you first, because that's where you'll have that, you, that heart, that desire first. You really want to do it. And then you understand, oh, so that's the way I'm always supposed to pray. Oh, so when somebody else asks me to pray, I should be like that too. You see it? You grow. This is all about growing. And, and in prayer, we all have a lot of growing to do. That's why in, in Romans 8, Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we should. And isn't that true? But that's okay. Now, this isn't pass-fail. You know, we don't have A, prayer, pray people, and B and C, we're not graded. We're just along the way we're learning how to grow. And, and prayer is in everything else. Again, with all prayer and all petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, what in view? Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I want you to think about that, that expression, be on the alert. Think about other situations in your life where somebody tells you that. Be on the alert. What does it usually mean? It means that there's something that could be dangerous here if you don't take care of it. Be on the alert. It, all, it also has the sense of a sentry who's there overnight. and He's watching over the, the place where the, where the troops are gathered. He has to stay alert to see whatever might be going on. Well, then bring that over to prayer. See, we're to be on the alert for who? For all the saints. You know, Paul one time wrote, there's nobody that gets in trouble that I don't have my heart go out to. And he had hundreds and thousands of people. And they were, they were in a precarious position in the first century. So, so to us, let's be on the alert for one another. Let's understand that enough about what people are going through to be able to pray specifically when we can. Not all the time. But when you but strive to understand what's happening. Strive to understand where in our congregation there may be people struggling, weak, openings for problems, and so forth. With all perseverance there is again, and petition for all the saints. All right. Are you still in Colossians 4? You should be. Yeah. All right, let's continue. Epaphras, who is one of your number... A bond slave of Jesus Christ, praying for those closest to you, sends you his greetings always. What's the next word? Laboring. What's the next word after that? Earnestly. Laboring earnestly. What does that mean? Well, notice he's laboring. In other words, prayer is hard work. We're to take an attitude of being alert in it. We're to understand that it is a struggle. We'll talk a little bit more why that might be. But that we, in other words, we shouldn't pray to go to full. We can't sleep so we can fall asleep. You know? some people do. By the way, more people listen to me on you know, the Internet or whatever so that they can fall asleep. And they, they, they tell me that's always so flattering. Thanks, thanks for letting me know that. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I understand. It's great that you'll, anytime is great. But, but the point is, is that we're to be on the alert when we're in prayer. In other words, we're to strive earnestly when we pray. It's hard work when we do it right, if I could put it that way. But again, it's a labor of love. But some people, of course, when you think about laboring, as far as Christians, prayer may not be the first thing we think about. You know, some people labor in their preaching. Others will labor in their missionary work. And we can all see that. Nobody can see you laboring in prayer. And yet it is that. It's a labor of love. Some as leaders, labor, and that's what we should be doing. We should put everything into whatever gifts we've been given by the Lord to serve one another. Givers, others are working hard with their hands, so they may have extra to share. In other words, they they realize their calling is to work hard, support their family, and do what they can to also support the saints. That's all labor, and it's all good, but remember... If you're called to be a prayer warrior, that's your work. You are to labor in that. Oh, and come to think of it, we're all called to pray, aren't we? In other words, that, this is, that, yes, there are some people who are gifted and called. Perhaps they have the time to focus on prayer most of the day. I don't know about you, but most people don't fit that category. Now, now we should always pray in our hearts, but there are some people who are given the gift and the opportunity to be, that's their calling. That's their, as a word, job in the church. But again, we're all called to this. We're all called to pray at all times in the spirit. We're all called to be devoted to prayer. And I want you to notice that this labor is an earnest thing. Earnest thing. In other words, it's not simply a duty or something you check off on your to-do list. It means it comes from the heart. It means that you're pouring yourself Into your prayer. You mean it. You mean business when you pray. Perhaps you see it as one of the most, if not the most important thing you're going to do that day. What you're praying about, when you're praying earnestly, it simply means that what you're praying about, who you're praying for, matters. It matters to you. It matters to me. And that's the kind of prayer that Epaphras had for the saints at Colossae. By the way, in the Greek, those two words are one Greek verb. Laboring earnestly is one word in the Greek. And it carries with it the sense of being in a battle. This is the way that Epaphras prayed. It's like he's in a battle. He's in a war. He's in a fight to be praying for for these people with these petitions that he has. And that is so true. And I'm going to show you why that is. We forget about where we are, who our enemies with, who it is that we're contending with, struggling against. When we pray, we're persevering against opposition. That's why it's labor. That's why you strive, be devoted to it. Labor earnestly. It, it, It sometimes requires us to strain every nerve in our body to achieve the goal that's set out there in prayer. Prayer is powerful. And when Epaphras prays for these saints at Colossae, he's telling us, Paul is telling us about his observation of Epaphras, that he's engaged in a spiritual battle. A spirit, now you think to yourself, when you think about spiritual battle and spiritual warfare, I don't know what you picture, but I usually picture a missionary in another country and there's all these, all these wacky, they talk to a missionary from time to time, an evangelist, about what it's like out there in other countries, by the way. And that's what we think of when we think about spiritual warfare. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a big spiritual battle when we pray. Why do you think that might be? Well, it's because prayer is powerful. <laughs> because prayer really matters. Prayer is the key thing we can do for one another. We shouldn't neglect doing good. We're called to do that too. But prayer's is powerful. If, if we may not realize it, but the enemies do. That's the thing to remember. They realize, they want us to stop praying. Just like they want us to stop hearing the preaching of the word of God. And so understand that, you know. If you're finding it difficult to pray, don't necessarily blame yourself. In fact, don't blame yourself at all. By the way, you realize to blame yourself is to think highly of yourself. Do you ever think about that? When you blame yourself for not doing something, you say, I should do that. You know, and that's just focused on who? I. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that there's things going on that is not about you. All right. There may be a, You may be praying in a situation in a time where that prayer is something that is going to be powerful and the enemy will want to stop you from doing that. And that's why you're experiencing the difficulty in prayer. Now, don't get hyper-spiritual. But that's a fact. That can happen. That's why when Epaphras is praying for the saints at Colossae, remember, in this situation, he's not with them. He's in Rome with Paul. The saints at Colossae are facing all kinds of dangers. We, saw, we studied those in chapter 2. They are under attack themselves. And Paul uh, and Epaphras can't be there, but they can do something even better, which is to be prayer fighters on their behalf. And that's what we're called to do. There's certain situations. when You'll you know it when it's happening, when you see what can only be called evil in somebody's life. It can only be called something that seems greater than just the human situation that you might see from many other people, that there's a a particular intense struggle that somebody's going through. And that just means that our prayers should be particularly intense on their behalf. Now, I want you to notice also, what is it? You know, a lot of people say, well, I want to pray, but what should I pray for for these people? You know, and, and the first thing that comes to mind, and probably the thing that comes to mind when people ask you to pray, would be something circumstantial. Something that is physical. I want you to pray that I get a job. I want you to pray that I'm healed. I want you to pray that my family stops fighting. And there's nothing wrong with any of those prayers, by the way. We should be. But also, we should be doing something else. And we should notice here what it is that Paul Paphras prays for them, why he's such a struggle, why he's in a spiritual battle, why he has to persist in it, why he has to be devoted, because of the things that he's praying for. Notice, he's praying that you may stand perfect. Think about that. He's praying that all of the saints would grow to maturity to the to the place where they're complete. Where, as Paul says, they finish the race. He wants them all to be holy and blameless and with, with, without any kind of uh, rebuke or anything, beyond reproach. That, now, that's not something that's just casual because th- there's all kinds of things that, is gonna, that the enemy is going to try to put in the way to prevent the saints from becoming mature, to prevent them from continuing to hear the word of God preached. So that his prayer was, was something, a, a goal that was... Amazing, that they may stand perfect, and then that they may stand not just assured, but fully assured. Fully assured, completely assured. That that strength inside, that contentment inside, that certainty about who you are in Christ, about where you're going, about the promises, about the inheritance, about the fact that you'll never lose your salvation. That, that, the, that you'll never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now those, that full assurance, I like assure you, can only come by hearing the word of God preached again and again and again. Because when you go out in the world, you're going to hear the opposite again and again and again. But that's Paul's prayer, that they may all stand fully assured. And in what? Fully assured in all the will of God. Can you see how expansive what a goal this is that Paphras has set out for the Lord in prayer. That they may stand fully assured. That they may stand perfect. And they be fully assured in all the will of God. Now, how's the only way to be fully assured in all the will of God? Do you know what it is? To know all the will of God. And now don't get crazy on me. We're not going to know everything. But what it means is to understand what's in the Bible. Particularly what's, in the, what's the plan of God that he's laid out for us as members of the body of Christ. That's what we are to be fully assured in, that you, that, you have, you, that you are confident that you understand God's heart for the members of the body of Christ, that you understand what God's will is for you, that you see the big picture, in other words. And you can only see that by, through the eyes of faith in God's word, the things that eye has not seen, the things that ear has not heard, all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's how you become fully assured in all the will of God. Now, that's quite a prayer. This is quite a prayer. I, I dare say it, it blows away any prayer that I prayed this week. Other than when I was reading this passage, and said, oh, yeah, I, I want that for my people. But I want you to think about that. In other words, In other words, yes, the temporal things, the money things, the health things, they're important, but they're important for this life only. We're not going to have cancer in heaven. We're not. We're not going to have financial difficulty in heaven. And so, the, many times, the way in which we go through things is not to focus on them, but instead to keep our eyes on Christ, where our life is, hidden in the heavenly places. That's what we're supposed to be keeping our eyes on, no matter what we're going through down here. So notice that there's, a, a, that there's a three parts to this prayer. Let me go through it again. That you may stand perfect, complete. That you may be fully assured and that you may be fully assured in all the will of God. That's a demanding prayer. In other words, if, you, if somebody were to come to me with that laundry list, I would say, well, <laughs> well, that's pretty demanding, you know. But fortunately, you're not going to a human being when you pray like this. You're going to God who's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving. But there's no doubt that Epaphras is putting a lot on the shoulders of the Lord. Not... Not better. He doesn't want them to be better. He wants them to be perfect, complete. I want you to turn to Colossians 1.25. You may say, "Well, what's that? What is it that will?" When, when when Epaphras is praying that they may be perfect, what does that mean? What does that consist of? What's going? To... What has to happen in their lives in order for that to be attained, in order for them to be complete and perfect? Well, it turns out that Paul uh, has gone through that already in the letter that we've been studying. In chapter 1, let's look at chapter 1, 25 to 29. Of this church, I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Paul knew the will of God for his life. What was it was so that I might fully carry out, notice, the preaching of the word of God. What is it? The preaching of the word of God. How do the saints become complete and Perfect. The preaching of the word of God fully carried out. Mark that down. The reason I say that is because that is another area where the enemies, the principalities and powers in the air, that's another area where they're focusing a lot of their energy is to stop the word of God from being preached in its entirety. Stop letting the saints know who they are in Christ. Stop letting them know the extent of the promises and blessings that God has given us. Stop the preaching of the Word of God. That is what? The mystery. Here's what's most important for pastors to preach on our day. The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints, to whom God, to you, to me, God will to make known a mystery. What is it? The riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the message that needs to be preached over and over again. People need to hear that over and over again. Pastors that are preaching this need to be supported so that work continues, that people can continue to hear this over and over again. We proclaim Christ. This is how people become complete, perfect, mature. We proclaim Christ. It's that simple. Admonishing every man. This is part of the the job of a pastor. Teaching every man with all wisdom. So that we may present, notice, every man, this was a Epaphras' prayer, that they all would be presented perfect. They all will stand perfect, complete in Christ. For this purpose, notice, just like we're to labor in prayer, Paul labored for this. Pastors are to labor for this. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That is how the saints become perfect. Then he goes on and says that you may be fully assured. And I want to say something. The saints, the assurance that Epaphras wants for the saints in the Lycus Valley, the Lycus Valley just means that where Laodicea and Heropolis and Colossae were. They were all close together. And he mentions Laodicea and Heropolis in this letter. So he says, the, 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 he notes the assurance that he wants for these saints is full assurance. Full assurance. I had a lot of things in my notes about this. I had to take them out for the sake of, of, of uh, you know, getting through the message. <laughs> Again, so, so, but notice that he wants volition. By the way, this is a prayer that any pastor with a burden for his congregation will fervently wish. It's a, fact, a matter of a fact It's a burden that he's ready and willing to fight for. That the saints may be fully assured. Fully assured about what? But for starters, there's salvation. There's a huge attack going on in the saints today called Lordship salvation. Whether they whether they understand it or not, they're attacking that the assurance that people have in Christ. That's something worth fighting about. Paul explained this in Colossians chapter two, starting in verses one. Through, well, in verses one through five, I'd like you to turn there now. Colossians two one through five. Isn't it interesting? We have this prayer at the end by Epaphras. And in order to understand it, what are we doing? We're going back through the letter again. Going back through the letter again. I want you to think about that. Think about that prayer that Paul was seeing, Epaphras praying. And then this letter that Paul writes back has all, has all, all to do with that prayer. I want you to think about the power of prayer in that light. God's word. A whole letter that would be preserved in the 66 books of the Bible, you can make a pretty good argument sprung forth from the prayer of one man. Colossians two, one to five. For I want you to know, notice again we have it, how great a struggle. And that's the same Greek root as we saw in in prophecy's prayer when he labored earnestly. Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for all those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes how? From the full assurance of what? Understanding. That's how you get fully assured. From understanding what God's Word has to say about who you are in Christ. What it has to say about what god did for you at the cross what it has to say about the gospel being simply faith in christ and his death and resurrection when you understand those things when you understand who god is when you understand what what god's love for you really means when you understand the incredible thing that happened at the cross and how it was god's son that actually died for us when you when that starts to really sink in then you get an assurance a calmness a realization that you know, no matter what's going on with me, this thing is so big and perfect and amazing that God has done for me. And when you get that full assurance of understanding, a lot of these things just kind of drift away. They're unimportant. That would otherwise cause us to be concerned. <coughs> now, what happens when that happens? You result in a true, a complete knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. That's the goal. Is, think about that. A knowledge of this mystery that's embedded in Christ, God's Son. And notice what is that all about. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what's at stake, by the way, in having the word of God preached. That the saints would understand that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That when you pray for wisdom, realize that you already have it in Christ. Because you're in Him, for example. And then notice, like, here's the struggle. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Paul realized then what I realize now, that one of the biggest threats to our continuing in this, to hearing the word of God preached, to growing, is attacks. And what are they? They're persuasive arguments. You see, Can you see all the things that Christians miss most of the time? that really the the danger, the threat, the enemy, is in the form of persuasive arguments. I mean, we engage in those persuasive arguments and listen to all kinds of things, not realizing that embedded in some of those things are the things that will delude us and take us away from the greatness of the knowledge of Christ. Then he goes on, for even though I am absent in bodies, not with them, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see. Notice what he's rejoicing to see. Rejoicing to see the numbers go up 500% last year. Rejoicing to see all the money you're giving to the ministry. What does it say that? What does it say? Rejoicing to see your good discipline. You're growing. You've developed the, the kind of habits and the understanding of the importance of God's Word, your good discipline, and the stability of your faith in Christ. It's supposed to be a stable thing. This is why one of the things I'm most worked up about is the manner in which our young people find themselves with respect to Christ these days. That if they're even if they're even plugged in at all very often, it's a very surface thing. You know, it's like let's have a concert and let's give some money to the people in Asia. And then I might mention Christ once during the concert. You think I'm kidding. I've been to these concerts. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned that they need to have a stability in their faith in Christ that will see them through anything. That's what's happening in Colossae, and that's why they're under attack. And once again, notice we've gone to a passage in the letter to see the answer to to Epaphras' prayer. In other words, this prayer of Epaphras in chapter 2 that we've seen today is a fitting conclusion to this letter. All right, back, back to that fitting conclusion. Colossians 4, 12 to 13. Epaphras, who was one of your number, bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you, that you may stand perfect, quite a prayer, and fully assured in all the will of God. I right, testify for him. Here's where the prayer comes from, that he has a deep concern for you and for all those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. It makes perfect sense that this prayer of Epaphras for the saints at Colossae would serve as a concise summary of this letter. After all, what was the occasion that, that was behind the letter being written? Well, it was the trip Epaphras made to Rome. He's in Colossae. That's in Asia. Today we call it Turkey. And Epaphras goes to Rome. That's, that's pretty far away. I mean, maybe not today when you have supersonic travel and boats that go 1,000 miles an hour. But back then it was. It was quite a labor. All right, And he did that to, to just inform Paul about a, Epaphras needed help. He needed somebody that was further along in the mystery of Christ to deal with that situation. He needed help with the situation of the saints at Colossae. And Paul never been to Colossae. Everything he learned about the saints there, he learned from Epaphras. <coughs> and as we've seen already, Epaphras was one of them. He came from Colossae. As a matter of fact. He's the one who founded the church. He'd been evangelized by Paul when Paul was in Ephesians for two and a half years. And then he went, he, was, he went, he said, go back home. A lot of times we think that we have to go somewhere else besides home to do the calling of God. That's often not true. Often we're sent back home. And he was sent back home to start a church there. Just like the folks here. Uh, when they when they met in the Pomerai home for years, they were here, and yet they were called to start a church. Now is their calling and mission. All right, so that's what happened. This is Epaphras. This is why it's appropriate that this letter was written, lining up with his prayer. And again, Epaphras knew firsthand about the spiritual dangers that the saints faced there. Remember those false worldly philosophies that we studied legalism and mysticism, remember that? Asceticism and all of that that could prove deadly to their spiritual health and growth in Christ. That's all Epaphras. See how central he is to this whole thing. So it's not too much to say that Paul crafted this letter to address the great concern that, Paul, that Epaphras had for the saints there. And we saw it in his constant earnest prayer for them. Think about that. God inspired Paul to write one of the letters that would go into the Bible in answer to one man's constant, earnest prayer. That's the power of prayer. Never never sell it short. You know, in preparing for this message today, something hit me about these individuals that Paul singles out at the end of his letter. You know, we tend to forget some of the circumstances, but they were a band of brothers, a small band, in a sea of hostility, in a hostile Roman Empire, in great hostility from the Jews, where he went to the synagogue first every time he preached. There was tons of it. Read about it in the book of Acts. They were a small band in a sea of hostility. And now their leader was in prison. They gathered together with him. They came to him for strength and encouragement, and in turn, strengthened and encouraged him. And they knew at that point how precarious things were out there, these newly formed congregations under threat. But you know what they didn't know, what couldn't possibly have occurred to them? That their names would still be remembered 2,000 years later. That these letters Paul was writing would be preserved for 2,000 years, and the book in which these letters are found would become the best-selling book of all time, and that it's all God-breathed, every word of it in the original documents. In other words, in the first generation, every life, every servant of Christ mattered. Well, this has continued to be the case. In each ensuing generation of the church, every life, every servant of Christ mattered. And like freedom in America, the good news of Jesus Christ must be shared anew every generation of saints. Think about it. God has to use people in every generation to make sure that his word is preserved, to make sure that the gospel is taught correctly, to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to hear the good news. Every generation, every one of us, every gift that we are given, it has to be used anew. The very word of God, its existence, its integrity. Now, this will happen. God's promised it, and yet he uses us to do it. Right. The integrity of God's Word. What do I mean by that? I mean that that the translations are accurate. I mean, we've got a slew of translations out there that are just crazy. They they don't tie into the original text at all. Well, our job is to say no to that. And yes to things that preserve the Word of God. And, and most importantly, pr- preserve the preaching of the Word of God. It's no good to be printed and nobody hears it. So... What does that mean? It means that our lives like theirs matter. Our ministries like theirs matter. And our prayers matter too. Especially our prayers. As we labor mightily in them. Is that you guys? No. Okay. There's, never mind. Sometimes I get calls on the bat phone over here. I'm, like, I'm to make sure this wasn't one of those times. But it's especially our prayers that matter. You know, we're to labor in them mightily because we face much opposition in that, just like they did. So I want to ask you to please pray for the evangelists and the pastor teachers. Pray to those, pray, to, pray for those, pray to God, for those who are responsible for the gospel going forth. Responsible for God's word to be preached with integrity and boldness in season, out of season, with great patience and instruction I'm going to tell you something. Those prayers have never been more critical than they are today. Because the difficult times that Paul warned Timothy about are upon us. Please turn to 2 Timothy 3. This is where we'll wrap it up. The difficult times that Paul warned Timothy about, they're here. They're upon us now. And we need to notice what that's all about and notice what Paul says is critical. When those times are upon you. 2 Timothy 3.1 He also wrote this letter in prison. He wrote this letter to one of his small band of brothers, Timothy. This is uh, the last letter that Paul's going to write. Before he went to be with the Lord. He knew it. And these were the things that he wanted to make sure that Timothy, as one of the leaders of the next generation in the church, knew and held close and stayed alert about. Notice Second Timothy three one. But realize this that in the last days difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be boasting and arrogant, revilers, nothing sacred to them, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, the differences between them fester Nothing ever gets resolved or reconciled. Malicious gossips. No self-control. Brutal to one another. They hate the good and love the bad. They're treacherous after all. Reckless. They're conceited. It's all about them. They're all about pleasure. Love is a pleasure rather than loving God. They hold to a form of godliness so people think that they're Christian and spiritual and all of that. They deny the power. Avoid such men as these. Avoid them. Be on the alert. Drop down to verse 13. These are the days that are upon us. Evil men and what? Impostors. Im- impastors, if I can put it False teachers. We'll proceed from bad to worse. You know, I wish I could stand here today and say, don't worry, it's all going to get better. We're going to have a great revival and all those false teachers will be thrown out of the churches and then we'll have great preaching of the word of God everywhere. Believe me, I would earnestly want that to happen. That's not what Paul says. He says, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, this is Timothy, continue in the things you've learned, continue in the word of God, become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. that from childhood, this is why the young people are so important, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. And here it is. All Scripture is inspired by God. This ought to be... If you want to give a poster to a pastor, give him that. It's real simple. All Scripture is inspired by God. That gets our heads right. It's all God-breathed. That's what the word in the Greek means. It's from, the, from God breathing out His Word... on on paper, in the original text, which we need to be faithful to today. And it's all profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction. We need to be corrected. We need to be trained in righteousness. What's that from? The Word of God, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you. This is the charge now of every communicator of the Word of God, pastors and evangelists especially. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing first time and his kingdom the next time. Preach the word. When when the evil days have come, when the last times are upon us, the last days, the difficulty increases, what do we do? What do we focus on? What do we support? Preaching the word being ready. This is the job of the pastor. Never more important than today, being ready in season and out of season. When for whatever reason more people are streaming into the church and when more people are leaving it, continue to preach the word of God. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, notice with great patience and instruction. In other words, keep at it. Hang in there. Don't look this is this is the pastors are called to do this. Don't be too concerned. Well, what's happening with people and all the movements and all of that? Just do this. <laughs> just continue to preach the word of God with patience and instruction. Why? Because the last days are upon us for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. You know, they, 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 they seek out people who agree with them, who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what the Bible says. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. And they will be turned aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, me, the evangelist, other pastors, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. My friends, this is our time. This is the battle for our time. It's a battle, it's a struggle to preach the gospel as Paul preached it. The gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace. By grace through faith in Christ and his death and resurrection. And to do so amidst a sea of false gospels. There's a battle, there's a conflict, and it's going on inside pastors' hearts to continue to honor every word of the Bible in the original manuscripts for what it is. God breathed. There's a fight on, and we must engage. There's a fight on to stop pastors from declaring the whole purpose of God, like Paul told us to. From teaching the revelation of the mystery of Christ. There's a fight to shut down pastors who teach the saints who they are in Christ, to prevent the saints from knowing the hope of Christ's calling from knowing the riches of the glory of Christ's inheritance in the saints, to to prevent people from knowing and living in the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Our warfare is spiritual. Most Christians are missing this completely. Our enemy, those spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know something? This may shock you to hear this said. They're actually okay with a lot of missionary activity. As long as it's only humanitarian and it stops short of boldly declaring the gospel. The enemy's okay with that. They're going to leave that alone. They're fine with all kinds of churches, large assemblies, big musical concerts by well-known artists, but just don't include the preaching and teaching of the Word of God in season and out of season with great patience and instruction. This is the struggle in our time. It's a struggle that involves each of us. It is a battle over prayer. It is a battle over which teachers will be supported. Will it be authentic Bible teachers or false teachers who are experts at tickling ears? It's a battle over bringing up the next generation in the truth of God's word. It's a battle over preserving the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. Holding the line by only supporting evangelists who boldly preach the gospel in the Bible, rather than any other one. So let's put on our armor. Let's wield that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And let's call on the biggest guns of all with our prayers for the saints, for the preachers and teachers of the Gospel, and the Word of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we know you hear our prayers. These are some big ones. We share the prayer of Epaphras today, Father, that the saints would become perfect and complete in your word, that they would have the full assurance that comes from understanding your will in their lives. Father, today we also, once again, want to make sure that we're clear on the gospel, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that we fell and Adam's fall, and we were all born dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were your enemies, and as such, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and raise him from the dead. So that now, every ungodly sinner who believes in your son is born anew, and that you declare perfectly righteous in your eyes because of what you see, which is the blood of Christ covering them. Father, we ask as we leave today that these words would say and dwell deeply in our hearts so that we would continue the fight, continue to to keep our hands and our eyes occupied with what we are supposed to be, that that the word of God would be preached and that people everywhere would at least have an opportunity to hear it. And we would pray, Father, that most of all we would understand that we're not supermen and women, except when we're powered by the Spirit and that you've given us a particular calling and we ought to do that job that you've given us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Just wanted to mention, everybody, that we do not take collections. We don't believe in tithing. Because the New Testament tells us how we're to give. We're to give as the Lord has blessed us in, in gratitude for the word of God preached. And we're to help one another in giving. And so when the Lord puts that on your heart, it's your freedom. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And we do have opportunities to do that. I mean, we have a we have a little box in the back, and you can place an offering in, or you can go online, or mail us a check if you wish. And um, all right, that's that's, that's that's that. Oh, the other thing is, um, what? Yeah, Thursday. Thank you. Yeah, every Thursday we have a Bible study. That's seven o'clock. We've been in some in some big thicket of stuff with the end times. We're almost through it, all right? We're actually just about done. With, we're going to see the timeline next week, and we're going to wrap up. Well, what about us? How are we to see all of these end times because of who we are? What, is it, what does it mean? We saw some of it today, actually, about the difficult times and so forth, all right? So please join us on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. It's in the room over there that we, where all the good food is on Sundays. You know that one. All right, And also, if you, if you have any questions about anything, but especially today's message or the gospel, um, please come up after. I'll be here. I don't bite. I have a Bible in my hand. I'll still be dressed in the suit so you know who I am. All right, let's close. Father, we want to thank you again today for your greatness, for your love, for you providing everything that we need to live a victorious life as the Word of God teaches. We're going to reign in life through your Word and through the grace of God through knowing Christ so we would ask that you would bless us by understanding that more and more we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord amen God dismiss have a great day today